Okay, so it's Martin Kiernan here today, and I have a special guest who is Dr. Elaine Cloutman Green. Now, I've known Elaine for a while, uh, and she's now the consultant clinical scientist at Great Ormond Street. And this is a pretty new role uh, in the UK. There are three clinical scientists working at the front line in organizations, in, in provider organizations, and uh, Elaine's recently picked up this role now and i'm wondering what tempted a clinical scientist to go into infection control what was the hook for you at the beginning because you've done infection control for a while haven't you elaine i have so actually i've only really ever worked in infection control since i qualified and it's because um in my first week in infection control i got given the bleep and everyone was like sink or swim and I loved it. So my first week I had calls like, oh, they needed to bring in a Komodo dragon for an MRI from London Zoo. And so they're like, so we're bringing it in at midnight. Can you do a risk assessment and work out what it means from an infection control point of view? Like, how can you not want to do that job? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. Every day is completely random and different. And it's just, you know, stressful, but it's also delightful and means that you learn all the time. And so I can't imagine doing anything else. No, I mean, that is, we we learned so much over the last year anyway, but... How has your role evolved over the last year, would you say, then, during the pandemic? Um, So in many ways, I've been really lucky because, like, no one really cared about the environment for quite a long time. And I've been a bit of an environment geek for some time. Um, You have. um, And I've always found it really interesting and fascinating. And so ventilation and water has always been my bag. And I think that's been super useful over the last year. I don't know really how people have coped if they didn't understand things like air changes and different types of room ventilation because there's so much information and it's so techy in terms of the language because it's aimed at engineers and not clinical people mm. that yeah. um in the stress of a pandemic trying to absorb that and make decisions um i just can't imagine how hard it's been because it's been hard enough for me who was interested in this area to kind of get on top of it I think the big thing for me that's changed is I think it's so important to focus on the whole patient pathway. And I think sometimes it's really tempting to get IPC involved in just an IPC query without realising that actually all of that context is so important. And there was probably a lot of stuff that you haven't thought about that when we sit and talk about the whole patient flow will come Mm -hmm. together and make people's lives easier if we have that conversation before it starts. And so I was involved in the national pathology response as well. And it's really eye opening to see how siloed we are in healthcare and how much better things go when we try to actively break down those silos. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that's really come to the fore over the last year, isn't it? You know, and I, I get your point about trying to take on absolutely new and quite complex science when you're actually trying to deal with a pandemic. And I think in, for many people, it's been that's been one of the biggest challenges, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, now, this new role, I'm interested in this because you're a clinical scientist, but actually you're the organization's infection control doctor as well. So how do you become the infection control doctor for a, a major 
tertiary referral teaching hospital like Great Ormond Street? You like books, um, I think. So the really important thing I think people need to realise is I have exactly the same postdoctoral, postgraduate qualifications as my medical colleagues. So I have an undergraduate in zoology, I have an MRes in biophysics, but then I came into healthcare and all of my exams after that are exactly the same as my medical colleagues. So I have fellowship of the Royal College of Pathologists by exam. I have a PhD in the role of the environment in transmission of infection. And so it was so important to me to show that we can play on a level playing field. And I bring, you know, I bring something different, but there's also that whole bit in the middle that's the same. And so that people can understand that I am equally qualified um, to make the decisions that I do. Um, It's just my particular interest is in infection control. Mm. I mean, uh, how do the rest of the trust feel about that? Are you getting the same attitude as if you were seen as a, if you like, medically qualified uh, infection control doctor? Or, I mean, you've been there a while, haven't you? So... Yeah, I think they, they must know you by now. 16 years, so that's both a blessing and a curse, right? I think if I went yeah. into somewhere else as an infection control doctor, so outside of England, Naomi Gatsby is doing a very similar job up in Scotland, um, mm-hmm. although more the infection control doctor part, but clin micro mainly, whereas I am very much an infection control specialist because um, we have so much going in terms of complicated patients and built environment, that we need that at GOSH. Um, I think the advantage of having a PhD is no one knows the difference on paper. Like my email (laughs) signature says FRC path, just like a medics would. It says doctor, just like a medics would. And so probably if I didn't have that DR in front of my name, I would get a lot more pushback Um, because I do and because people know me. Generally, I don't. Um, what you do miss out on is some of the connections that the my medical consultants have. So um, they okay. all go to like specific meetings and things, and they are of specific unions, and so they have this kind of interconnectivity that I think if I had come into a new trust, I would struggle with because you don't yeah. have those same ins. Um, because I've been there for 16 years, I have my own networks. I'm also trust lead healthcare scientist. So in terms of having relationships with the executives, I've already got that in a scientific role. And so it's therefore easier to kind of port that over. But I don't think I have to fight so hard to prove my credentials okay. um, as I would have to somewhere else. I mean, do you think this is, is, is there a lot of interest in clinical scientists in taking up this role? Because I know many organisations that actually struggle to get any doctor to do the infection control doctor role. You know, they want to be the microbiologist or they might want want to be an infectious disease physician, but they, you know, if you ask them who wants to be the infection control doctor, everybody takes a step backwards. And I would much rather see somebody who's enthusiastic and really wants to do the role than somebody doesn't want to do the role because then there's no passion and they don't transmit positivity with the role. Do you think other clinical scientists will follow this path? Absolutely. So there are a huge number of trainees coming through now who see that this role exists. So I've worked in infection control and I was the first person that I know of who was, my job was an infection control job. Um, And I started that in 2008. Um, And so 
at that point there was no one and you felt like you were really kind of making it up as you went along a little bit you were fighting that path and hoping that others will follow I think now we have a whole bunch of trainees that that I get emails from going actually I'm looking for a permanent band seven in infection control how do I make that happen and I think trusts are beginning to take it on board because they see that there is a hole in terms of having someone that can really understand the science because infection control is becoming much more scientific much more evidence-based absolutely if you're going to bring in new technologies like hpv you could really do with somebody who really understands how you select system x over system y what are the benefits of that because i think we've all been burnt in the past by making decisions based on sales information or people coming through the door that kind of thing because you didn't have someone who could really interrogate what was behind it and so you kind of had to take stuff at face value and i don't think we want to do that anymore i think we want to focus on evidence-based practice and i hope that people see that healthcare scientists really support that yeah i mean i was i was hoping that as labs started to centralize and they became more automated Will there be some more clinical scientists who are actually thinking, oh, I need to, you know, actually, I'm actually interested in the infection control aspect of the job and move into the more uh, more outward facing, you know, and out within the organization. But there are just don't seem to be too many organizations that have actually thought laterally, actually, we can recruit to this because sometimes organizations struggle to re- recruit infection control nurses. And there, here we have a group of people who could really step into these, into these breaches, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Being the first is always hard, right? Mm. Um, yeah. And fighting to show that you can do that. I mean, I have to admit that when I put, I got the consultant post because the post is a consultant clinical scientist. And actually it says, you know, doing the role of an infection control doctor on it. But it doesn't actually say in the job title, infection control doctor. And so part of you is like, oh, do I, can I put that? on my signature um you know is that allowed will that offend people and you know i actually agonized over it i know it sounds ridiculous for like six hours when i was like do i put it down or not nobody has said a word no one questioned it there was no comeback but i think we have to have people out there and that's why i was so happy that you asked me to come and talk about it because i'm less places know that this is a potential route unless trusts know that this is a potential route they won't even think about it and you'll just default to what is normal i mean the other thing to say is obviously because of the change in the way that id micro training works we're really short of consultant microbiologists as well absolutely yeah and so um i think in some ways because that's a better trodden path currently people are going that route rather than infection control because it's it's a little easier because those roles are already available i had to really argue that the role of an infection control doctor is a full-time job because it's not perceived as being a full-time job like most medics will get one or two pas for it yeah i, I still hark back to alif's original book which started off saying for many editions the infection control doctor is often too busy to do much of the day-to-day work, so he needs an infection control nurse to do this for him. And I used to read that to my infection control doctor about once a month, just yeah. to wind her up, really, uh, but because it is, it's a full-time in a big job. Organ- totally is, uh, you know. And to be honest, what you know, I found when I worked on my own in a trust. I d- it turns out I didn't do very much, and the more people I got in the team, the more work we did, and actually the busier we got, which is crazy. It seems crazy, but actually it's not because the more you look, the more you find. find. 
and the better you become and also I really think that having a multidisciplinary team means that you have the conversations about where you're going to go in a really different way and so it enables that vision piece to actually really change in terms of where we might get to so you're not doing the same old same old Um, and I think we all know that infection control needs to have that push and that drive forward and it's changing and it's not in the nicest possible way, just about MRSA and hand washing anymore, especially the pandemic mm. has shown us that it's multi component and no one person is going to be able to be an expert in all of those different bits. Um, and so it's acknowledging which bits we do in which way and where we overlap. In some ways, that's a little bit difficult, isn't it? Because infection control nurses and practitioners have often felt that they have to be expert in everything. Well, you can know a lot about a lot of things, but you can't know the real depth of absolutely everything, But as we've seen over the last year. you know, And having people who you can call, and, and I mean, I've interacted with clinical scientists a lot in the past, and you are probably about to become a phone-a-friend for a lot of people, and I'm talking about people like the, the late, great Tina Bradley, and you know Peter Hoffman, of course, is still working, and, but Craig McIntosh and, and other fantastic clinical scientists, but they were working in these specialist centres, really, and, and now we're starting to see you in, in, you know, in acute hospitals, and I know yours is a big tertiary referral centre, but I'd love to see clinical scientists working at district general hospital level, you know, across, across an organisation, a bit like Karen Starrenthorpe is up in Nottingham, really. You know, that must be a real boon to that team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that Peter and everyone are such experts, but it's really different having done the clinical job and understanding that there are so many greys when you work clinically. Everything, every decision you make comes with a cost. <laughs> And Absolutely. You only know what that's like when you're sat there at half seven, it's, night it's squeezing a, f- a balloon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. On Friday night, going, what is the least bad choice I can make here in order mm. to get us through to the weekend? And it's a really different viewpoint from sitting in Public Health England, where actually you have you're looking at huge data sets that are countrywide. I'm looking at a family in front of me and having a conversation about what that impact is on that child and. Both of those things are important, but they do give you a little bit different view on sometimes the choices that are right in any given setting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see the role getting the recognition. And you've also recently been recognised, haven't you, by Her Majesty, getting your British Empire medal as well. So, you know, it's, it's not just in infection prevention spheres you're getting noticed for the value of the role in your work. It's actually at a national level, so that's really wonderful. But that was nice. Super fortunate. And honestly, it's one of those things where you're like... I don't know what I did that's different to anybody else, but I'm really grateful that I think it gives you that platform, doesn't it? It's all about having that platform to talk about like our amazing profession. And for me to talk about the role of healthcare scientists and really get people to understand that we even exist because a lot of our colleagues don't even know that that's a thing. And so um, that's why I'm really grateful. I'm quite terrified. I've never brought a hat in my life, by the way. So that's um, my panic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that's going to go down. But luckily, none Mm. of that's happening till after the pandemic. So I have some time. Well, congratulations to you. The first infection control doctor who's a clinical scientist. Somebody has to be first, but it's somebody who's passionate and enthusiastic and I'm sure will help anybody who's interested in this role. And you'll be flying the flag for clinical scientists for quite some time, I think. I Thank hope you so, so much. 
thank you so much and i'm at girly micro on twitter for anyone you are who ever wants to drop me a line at girly micro you heard it here thanks elaine thanks martin